0: I'm in two passages this morning, Psalm chapter 80 and John chapter 17. The series is called Revive Us. Today I want to talk to you about the word restore. If God does a work in our lives, it is to put back what is broken and restore us, to bring us back to a day that we once knew and maybe even make us better than we were originally. Psalm chapter 80. Verse one Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who sit enthroned between the cherubim, shine forth like before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh. Awaken your might and come and save us. Restore us, O God, make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Stop there. You you've had days in your life where you're spiritually strong and then days you wish you could go back to those days. You wish you could restore to me the joy of my own salvation, as the psalmist put it, Psalm fifty one. Israel's in a point a low point, and they're praying, Hear us, and they call him the shepherd of Israel, the one who will tend over us, who will care for us. They'd had better days, and they asked for the shepherd to come and be like Joseph, like a flock. The idea of that is like the father, uh, like know me by name, but treat me like you would your sheep. Come after me, looking for me. I need your help. You sit enthroned, and, and again, uh, the Psalms are very. Uh, the Psalms are a book of songs. It's the worship hymnal of the Old Testament. But they are also like poetry. It says between the cherubim... And he says, those are angelic forms. And he says, I need you to awaken your might. I need you to come in strength because we need, end of verse 2, we need to be saved. And he says, restore us. Maybe that's your prayer. Um, Some want to go back to the good old days because they've forgotten the good old days weren't that good. That's not what Israel, they actually had good days. They actually had good days. And they had tasted and seen, Psalm 34, that the Lord really is good. And if you've walked with the Lord very long, you know you've had better days than you do right now, or better days than a bad day or a bad year. And then you've had a good day or a good year. And this is the prayer, restore me to the good days, dear God. Skip down to verse 17 now. The psalmist concludes... Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. We have to stop there. The man you raised up for yourself. What does he mean by that? He's talking about let your hand, that's the hand of blessing. He's saying let that hand... Rest on your right hand. So it's the hand of blessing. He's praying, dear God, give us the hand of blessing at your right hand. And when he does that, there is something unusual about that phrase, the right hand. It's actually the Hebrew word for one of the tribes, which is a guy whose name is Benjamin. If your name is Ben, you may not know it, but your name in, in old Jewish literature means the man with the right hand. Didn't know if you knew that. So you're the right-hand man. <laughs> and that is, that's showing not only of strength, but affirmation. It is the right hand of, you've heard it before, it's, it's a legal document, they would shake a hand, we shake hands on it, and it's a done deal. It's the right hand, it's the hand of strength, it's the hand of protection. It's kind of the legal binder. Jesus would prophesy uh, hundreds of years later, and in Luke chapter 22, Luke will actually write it down, and he'll say, Jesus will will be at the right hand of the Father after he goes back to heaven. And he will become the right hand man to the Father who's in heaven. And Ephesians will restate that, and so will Colossians, that after Jesus is raised from the dead, Christ will reign and rule from the right hand of the Father. Now, if you have Christ in you, do you understand how close your help is? It's one arm's distance away from God Almighty. Get this. If Christ is in you, who is the hope of glory, and you say, God, would you restore me? Okay, my help, my strength, all of that, because I have access to the throne of grace, my help and strength is just one arm length away. It's not that far away. So why do we stew, and why do we struggle, and why do we work? When we could, what Hebrews says, uh, Hebrews chapter 4, therefore, since we have a great high priest, verse 14, then verse 16, let's go to the throne of grace. And what's there? The Father's there, and at his right hand is Jesus. And we know Jesus because we trust him, so he becomes not only Savior, but friend and Lord of our lives. We can go to him and we have access to the father why would we struggle or worry or go through strife or try to figure it out or try to fix it on our own and you've heard me say this before we've tried all kinds of things and then we all all we can do now is pray well we, we should have prayed at the beginning of this started it with prayer if you're a fan of sports and you have a favorite team that's winning and um not picking a sport, and I'm not picking a winning team because it's just a matter of a few days away from losing. But, but, <laughs> but you, have a, you have a favorite sport and, you, and they're winning, those tickets are gone, right? Um, when Michael Jordan played basketball, I saw him one time. I didn't see him in Chicago. Why? Because you can't get tickets in Chicago when Michael Jordan was playing in Chicago. I had to go to Indianapolis to see Michael Jordan. That's an insult. Then I had to wear a a Pacers jersey to get in. And I changed it to a Bulls jersey. Never mind. But anyway, you get the idea. (laughs) I'm almost done paying for those tickets, too. (laughs) Expensive tickets, aren't they? It's ridiculous what you pay. You don't need you don't need cash when cash won't get you tickets. You know what you need? You need connection. You need to know somebody who has tickets. Let's just say you're a fan of the arts and something's coming to the Kennedy Center or Wolf Trap or somewhere else, and you want tickets, but the tickets are gone because this is a it's a very popular show and a popular artist and. You can't believe it, but you didn't get tickets, and no amount of money is going to get them. What you need is connection. All right, let me tell you this. We all are in desperate need of supernatural help, and no amount of working, struggling, problem-solving, or money, so you can throw money at it all day, doesn't do what your connection will do to the one who is at the right hand of the Father. And it's like, it's like saying, I know somebody. You get this? That's what the psalmist is saying. Go back to verse seventeen. Let your right hand rest on the man at your right let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son you have raised up for yourself. If ever there were a prophetic moment of Jesus coming, this would be one of them, right here, right? Verse eighteen. Then we will not turn away from you. Revive us. Revive us. We will call on your name. God Bring the life back to us. Restore us, Lord Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. It's almost as if he's quoting Moses from the Pentateuch. Make your face shine on us. We need the glory back. I want it to be new. I want want it to be like it was originally before I messed it up. Restore us. We'll be completely overhauled. And Jesus can do that. He's the right hand. He's the connection. And his prayer before he dies on the cross, he will give us some pointers of what needs to be restored. If you hold your hand in Psalm 80, go with me to John 17. In John, what we have is the story of Jesus. By the time we get to chapter 17, we're at the week of his death at the cross. And he will go to the Father and he will pray. And he will pray very simply for his church, the the body which he loves. Chapter 17, verse 1. After Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Um, He had always stopped and said, it's not here, it's not here, it's not here. And now the hour has come, this is it. So he says, glorify your son Uh, reminiscent of, again, Moses, the Shekinah glory, make your face shine upon us. It's the word glory right there. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you, for you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. He's saying, Glorify me, Father, and, and I will glorify you. And I want, I want more than anything else, Lord, Father in heaven, I want more than anything else, I want to restore the passion for these dear people. And that's where our passion has to be as well. Make it your prayer. God, restore in me the passion that Jesus had for people and to make Jesus known, to make him known. Really, known. Look for it. Look for ways to bring him into the discussion. Look for ways to make him known. Wanda and I were just traveling um, a few weeks ago. We were getting on a plane. And uh, I'm always looking for a way to introduce, just to converse with people. It's what I do. Can't help it. Wanda says, you have friends, millions. Not very deep friendships, but millions of them. We're getting on a plane. I'm throwing, you know how you throw that Bag up above, and and I see a guy. He's in a Seattle Seahawks. He's got the jersey and the hat. He's with this. They tell it's father son. They're like matching. And I, I smile at him as I'm flinging my bag up. I said, "I'm not a Seattle Seahawks fan, but I am a Russell Wilson fan." Now, okay, this is me. This is the evangelist to me. I know Russell Wilson's a believer in Jesus. I know he's from the East Coast too, and and. uh, so I'm going to find a way to get Russell Wilson and get that conversation to Jesus. Because I, I don't like Seattle Seahawks, but I love what Russell Wilson loves. <laughs> Jesus. Okay? So I'm flinging my bag out. and go, I'm not a Seattle Seahawks fan, but I really like Russell Wilson. He's a good guy. That's what I say. I say, he's a good guy. And you know what that guy does? He goes, yes, he is. He's a good Christian man. That's what he says to me. Yeah. Sorry, I was, I'm not spending any time with you. You already know Jesus. I'm going to go talk to somebody else. <laughs> so we talked for a moment about Russell Wilson's faith. But you know what? While he's doing that, and you know, don't you hate it? You, you get on a plane, you just hate The aisle is like wide enough for an 85-pound uh, grandma, you know? And you're trying to get down the aisle of the plane. Is, is it true? The aisle's getting like more narrow? It's true, right? But it's okay, because once your knees are into your face, you hardly notice the aisle, right? (laughs) So anyway, I I was like, throw your bag and sit down. Well, then it's my turn to throw my bag. I'm going to sit in and talk for a while. Everybody else did. So I'm going to chuck with this guy and chat for a while until someone comes by and says, move along, buddy. Understand this. You have to look for opportunities to make him known, because he is the only, only means of salvation. Him and him alone. There is no other name that will save. So find a way to get people to Jesus. I, there was a, a survey done um, a, a few years ago, a handful of years ago, by several Christian survey companies. And these are polling agencies that would work coast to coast, nation nationwide, north to south, east to west. And they would poll thousands of people And what they did on this particular poll was instead of just saying, are you a Christian, and ask that question and then leave it, because people either view themselves as a cannibal or a Christian. You know, of course I'm a Christian. Or or there's something else. So what they decided was they would give it three criteria. One was, do you believe Jesus is the only way of salvation? And do you believe the Bible? And are you connected to a local church? Do you attend someplace? And they thought that would give us some sense of this evangelical, they're really serious about their faith, and we, we always say the country is just overwhelmingly you know, convinced of the claims of Jesus. But you know what? They found 7.2 to 9% said yes. They couldn't even get to 10%. Now, that was scary. And there may be more Christians than that that just don't go to church. It's like Russell Wilson. I play football. For what team? No, I don't really play for a team. I just play for myself. It doesn't work. Does it? No. Football's a team sport. Christianity's a team sport. So they, there may be Christians out there who aren't part of a team, so they may not have been able to fulfill all the criteria, but even still, understand this. It, there's a lot of people who knew Jesus. You travel the highways every day and when you come to church, it's like the lightest traffic day of the week. That should tell you something. Not everybody's going to church. Uh, and, and here's the other thing, too. Uh, not only is church uh, uh, population dropping nationally, and it is dropping, but the value, and we're one generation away, and the book of Judges will explain this if you just read the book of Judges, there'll be a forgotten memory of who Jesus is if we don't give it to the next generation. And so we're not far from becoming totally secular as a nation. In fact, we may. some scholars tell us we're actually there. But then in the few cases where churches do grow, it's primarily swapping people from one, uh, one team to the other. And the angels in heaven, they aren't in heaven going, well, the Lutherans got 5% of the Episcopals this week. <laughs> Let's have a party. No, they don't really care. They just view that as rearranging deck chairs on the same ship, the same chairs, and the same people. Do you understand this? What angels sing and dance about is when a a sinner repents and comes to Jesus. And that has to be our passion as well. So I'm going to ask you this week. Ask the Lord, restore to me a real passion to see Jesus announced and make him known. Secondly, restore in us a holiness that's found in Jesus. Um, Skip down, if you would, to verse 15. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, that you take believers out of the world, but that you protect them. So don't take them out of here, Father. Jesus is saying, I I want you to protect them. Why? They uh, They are not of the world as I'm not of it. So I'm asking you, verse 17, and here's the one to memorize. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth so there may there be within us a reviving spirit to restore us to a place of holiness getting serious about following jesus you, and when you do people will look at you as if something's wrong with you don't put your eyes on culture because it will fool you every time and it will mess with you and it will change uh, and by the way the believers in Jesus, they didn't say, okay, we're following Jesus. Now, now we're going to get all together and we're going to oust Nero, take over. No, no, they said, we're all about heaven. We're all about people coming to Jesus. It, it, they, they were persecuted. They lost their jobs. Many of them lost their families and their homes. And when they met together, they didn't have a building like this. They didn't have. Uh, They they didn't have a a lobby and a foyer and they didn't have musical instruments like what we have and they didn't have a a parking lot. A lot of this stuff, printing presses and programming and schools. They just gathered together and followed Jesus. And my word to you is this. Ask the Lord to to put within you a a renewed heart, restored heart of, of holy living before a holy God. Thirdly, restore to us a spirit of unity Jesus put this at the back end of his prayer verse 23 I and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity I, I want to see them as one whole body then the world will know that you sent me and love them even as they, even as you've loved me unless what unites us has to overwhelm It has to overwhelm us. Otherwise, what people will see is only what divides us. And if it doesn't, the world will see the inconsistencies, the hypocrisy of the faith, and they'll see that hypocrisy rather than seeing the Savior. I hope you get this. Because you may think a little bit of divisiveness isn't all that bad. No, a little bit of divisiveness is like a a little bit of cyanide in the soup. It affects the entire mix. The gospel loses momentum. And the world does not see Jesus. Years ago, uh, uh, my grandmother, a uh, godly lady, came to Jesus, grew up in an orphanage, and uh, marries my grandpa. They, they have children. They come out of the Depression. I mean, they're just... These are poor people. Uh, My grandpa was was a coal miner who got a great job working at a steel mill, and he died in the mill. I mean, he had a heart attack and was dead when he hit the ground. He he just—he's a hard-working, earth kind of a guy. My grandmother was an early widow. She but she was a servant at the church, and uh, try as my parents did, they could never match her up with another man. What do I need a man for? So she died as a widow. So she served at the church. I remember one time her serving at a wedding and um, and this is before uh, paper cups were out. And all. They served at the wedding these glass cups with the big punch bowls and they had little handles, glass handles on them. And her job was to serve that. Someone came up and butted in the line and decided they were going to you know, refill theirs and there's a, a bit of a, of a bump, and when my grandma walked down the line, someone came and a cup broke over the punch bowl. A glass cup. So people said, well, just let the broken shards fall to the bottom and we'll just dip from the top. And my grandmother picked up the punch bowl and went to the church kitchen and dumped it out. Why? Why? Because you don't know where the glass is. You have to, it's ruined. Does that make sense? And of course, she was not the most popular for that. She was like, I'll, I'll pay for the punch. It's, you know, and she's a widow. You don't want to be swallowed as only a grandma from the Depression. And I'm cheap because I grew up with a cheap grandma. Like, oh, certainly some of that punch is still good, isn't it, grandma? No. No, she dumped the punch. And when she dumped it, guess what was there? She saw shards of glass, which would have slit your throats if you'd you'd drunk that. Understand this. Just a little bit of the bad stuff ruins the whole batch. And Christians, I'm telling you, uh, we aren't doing any favors when we're divisive. Verse 23, again, Restore the unity. Why? Because then the world will know they get a clear message of who Jesus is. So revive us. Chapter eighty, Psalm chapter eighty, verse eighteen. Revive us. We'll call on your name. We want to do that with holiness, with passion, and and with holiness and with unity. Here let, let me just give you some questions I've been asking myself as of lately. And you can add to these what you like, okay? But When it comes to restoring the passion, ask yourself this. Has my devotion to the Lord, has it grown quiet or cold? Uh, When it talks about the, uh, the passion of the Lord, do I have a passion to make him known? Do I find myself passionately following him or am I bargaining, negotiating with God? These are great questions just to be asking yourself. Do I make him known? Is that my passion? Or am I, am I more fixed on what he can do for me? If you're in a relationship and all the person that you're in a relationship with uses you, they're a user, right? You know who those people are. You don't want to be that with Jesus. You want to have a passionate relationship with him that you make him known and that you love him. Good of him and good uh, representation. Um, Secondly, not only is the question about restore to us the passion, restore to me the holiness. Are there times I find myself rationalizing or defending sin? I'll do one even better. Uh, And this is a question I ask myself. Are there times, do, do I find certain sins more acceptable? Oh, sure, I sin, but not like them. So ask yourself, is it my goal to be pure and holy so when I arrive into heaven this is a smooth transition or do I just plan to be rotten and raunchy and then arrive in heaven surprised? Is that what you want? It's the question of holiness. And then thirdly, this issue of unity. Restore to us the unity that's in Jesus. What's keeping me from loving the people around me? Am I unifying or am I divisive? Do I, do I create divisions or do I look at what I have in common? And, and one of the great questions is, if you find yourself creating divisions, what do you hope to gain from that? I've been in some um, uh, family situations where, where families, they seem to thrive on Chaos. And if there isn't any, they'll create chaos. You ever been in, around a family like that? Okay. Oh my goodness. I have an opening tomorrow at 9 o'clock. But you've been in settings where, you, you, where people will do things just to create chaos and you have to ask yourself what is that about why is that happening what is the hopeful outcome of that when you do that in the body of christ the world does not see jesus they see the inconsistencies of christians just know that you hurt the whole issue of evangelism the whole project of evangel the whole mission of a passion for the world we're going to go to prayer and um I'm going to ask that you um, take, I've given you maybe a half dozen questions, but you you may jot another one or two out, three or four out that are yours. I'm going to ask you to do business with the Lord right now. And you may write, you may journal. Some of you just may want to bow your heads and talk to God. I'm going to give you a moment to do that. And then I'll close this in prayer. revive our hearts dear Lord may we tuck in close to you and restore to us a a loving passion to make Jesus known Uh, the wonder of holiness and how good that is not only for your glory but for our own good and then reignite within us a spirit of unity may we may we see it quickly embrace it quickly and may when we see any amount coming our way that just would not honor you lord may that not be our heart or our conversation we pray restore to us the wonder of a revived heart we pray in jesus name the church would say amen